As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, it is 11.47pm. You find myself, David and Matt in Garden Square on a perfect Melbourne night. And even better news than all of that, we are not going to be sued. Because as promised in last night's podcast, (laughs) we have had a sensational women's final. We have just watched... The match of the tournament, I think, on the women's side, possibly overall, and we watched it in the final. How often do you get the best match of the tournament in the final? Not often is the answer. I uh, I might press you on, on exactly when the last time maybe that happened, but I can't think of an obvious example. Two hours and 28 minutes of grit and brilliance won by... A woman who's had a quite extraordinary 12 months. In the words of Pam Shriver on our WhatsApp group, Arena Sabalenka has completed the greatest comeback from the yips the sport of tennis has ever seen. Well, she's seen a lot. And, I mean, I, I can't give you a, another example that is compar- comparable to this. The depths that she plummeted to with that serve a year ago, having to serve under arm to get it in, serving over 400 double faults in the year, she just lost her way completely, and that's a distant memory now. I mean, just just on um, the best final, I can't. I was trying to remember what the Osaka Kvitova final was like from a few years ago. Very I, I, good. I don't it think was, I watched that. Watched it as closely as I did tonight. This felt everything you would want it to be literally everything it was two brilliant young players with ultimate weapons 
and they were both going toe to toe at the same time. I mean, you, and they weren't. It wasn't an unforced error fest. It was just great. Yeah, it was the match we've been waiting for and more, wasn't it? It was. It was spectacular um, and such high quality, so much drama. I think uh, Sabalenka hit over 50 winners and had fewer than 30 unforced errors. You know, it was really high quality. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. It's one of the best matches I've ever seen live, for sure. And on on Sabalenka's sort of serving, for those of us who, you know, like like a bit of narrative, I just thought it was perfect that you know she she started the match with a double fault and there were there were these ooze in the stadium and these gasps that you get after serving a double fault in a huge arena like that and she ended it serving out for her first grand slam title you know never backing down going for big second serves and it was kind of the arena sabalenka progress development journey just you know a microcosm of that within this match I, th- I felt it was perfect she smiled after the double faults the first point of the yeah. match and then she hit an ace <laughs> and I just thought okay I think she's alright in there totally <laughs> oh. yeah 4-6-6-3-6-4 Sabalenka beat Elena Rabakina tonight clinching her first major title on her fourth match point it was an edgy final game wasn't it to say the least and as Mary Carrillo said to us just now the hardest thing to do is something you've never done before and I think you know in particular in the case of Rina Sabalenka when I think of how hard it was for her to win a semi-final that took four attempts and some of those prior attempts were bad you know that performance against Leila Fernandez that serious baggage that she's carrying around with her if we remember it that vividly then you know goodness knows what technicolor it exists in in her mind um so to do this to win a final at the first time of asking is unreal Mm. from her and and that's just it because i feel like sabalenka is quite different from the first time slam winners that we've had recently in the women's game who've all been kind of out of the blue unexpected I'm you know I'm thinking even of Rabatkina I don't think anyone was really expecting a major title to come quite so soon for her Emma Raducanu Barbora Krejcikova Iga Sviontek won a Grand Slam sort of way before people thought she would whereas for Sabalenka she's had to do something she's never done before and overcome a lot of scar tissue you know what was so sort of amazing about all of those other names I reeled off is they they just popped up unexpectedly they didn't have the they didn't have the suffering that that Sabalenka has gone through and in a way that just sort of makes it whether it makes it even more impressive for Sabalenka because all of those achievements that I've just reeled it's off were amazing it's impressive in a different way isn't it, it is in a different way and um, I think because she's been to those dark places because she's you know, sort of stared at her game as bad as it can be and come out the other side. I think she's just got so much belief now and, and, and she and she has to because you can't can't play her game. You can't swing like that if you're not swinging with conviction. Uh, astonishing. The trusting herself is is one of the things that, that I've written down here in my notes for the match because it really struck me when Billie Jean King was handing her that Daphne Atkhurst trophy and one of my moments of the night was when Billie Jean King was being introduced and 
um, Jane Herdlicker, um, the chairman, I think, of, of Tennis Australia, was making up actually a little bit for the other night when there was a presentation for the original nine. She did give some detail and some background and some power to that story uh, on a on a big platform. And she was introducing Billie Jean and the original nine, and Billie Jean punched the air. <laughs> and it was just such an incredible moment. And, of course, Billie Jean King's mantra is, go for it. Yeah. And she that said, is she's... exactly what Arena Sabalenka did tonight. Yeah. And that is why she won. Despite all the doubt she must have been experiencing, she kept going for it, kept trusting herself, and kept her cool in amongst all of that. I'm full of admiration for her because... It's an all-or-nothing game, isn't it? It's, she's made it less all-or-nothing than it used to be, for sure. But you've no, got to have some serious, deep self-belief yeah, it's a, it was to play a, that way. A bit Goran Ivanisevic-like, the way she closed that out with the four match points and the the desperation, the the, the clear trembling of the arm and the, the sort of smile. She would come to the back of the court... And she just tried to compose herself. She just sort of took a deep breath. And then she sort of smiled as if to say, OK, let's do this. And, I mean, you're right. Billie Jean King says to us individually, go for it in our own world. She says it to everybody she meets who's got a passion. Um, and the thing with Irina Sabalenka is, of all the players that I've come across over the last decade... She's the one I did expect to just break out of nowhere and just go and win a Grand Slam in a, like a second appearance because of, mm. of her physical weapons. And yet, she's kind of won this one in a different way. She still used those weapons, but this was about something else. Well, we were reminded just as the final was about to get underway, weren't we, by, by Hannah, who um, was in charge of our Twitter tonight for the final and will be again tomorrow night for the men's final. And she, I mean, she's always brilliant, but she was sensational tonight she was Sabalenka-esque yeah. on Twitter she's going to love that she reminded <laughs> us uh, on the just before the first ball was hit that Arena Sabalenka lost her father suddenly yeah. in 2019 just as she was it felt like just as she was on the cusp of making it big certainly just as she was just hitting you know the heart of her career and then there's a a global pandemic hot on the heels of that and those events come in quick succession when she's what she's 24 now so she would have been just out of her teens when all of that happened and in the words of Hannah it's a lot for a young person and I think she didn't talk that much about losing her father very understandably but that means that we don't talk that much about her losing her father and we don't want to assume anything about her grief and her trauma and her emotions but how could that not be a terribly troubling thing to go through that that would send you a bit off kilter and it's difficult to mention isn't it without her bringing it up but it's it's definitely not insignificant in her journey I don't think and what a journey yeah. what a journey we were remembering the other night weren't we that the the first match she ever played here in Australia was on the Rod Laver Arena against Ash Barty and she was laughed at and humiliated during the match because of her grunting because, you know, it 
it is extreme grunting, but I'm sure you can imagine how I feel about people drawing attention to women's women's grunting. Um, but there she was on Channel 9 tonight visiting the studio moments after lifting the trophy, just coming off the court, and she said beaming with happiness i think australia loves me oh well they do and uh, you only had to look around that that stadium it wasn't just for her it was for rebecca they were in love with those two tonight Uh, there was such warmth in that crowd and that's what i've been after for a long time with with someone other than ash barty i get why it was so warm last year in the final but it was great in a way, as much as I wish Ash Barty was still playing, it was great to see Australia just embrace these two players that have got nothing to do with them. You know, they just won them over. They came out and they just couldn't get enough of it. Uh, and who, who, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't just fall for that tennis? And Rebecca was just a joy. The way she, the way she came back at Sabalenka in that last game. This wasn't about Sabalenka having the jitters. This was about Rebecca and her trying to rip the tournament from her grasp just when she's on the cusp. That's what sport is all about. How can two players who on paper have such similar games do it so differently, can can look so different while doing it? Sabalenka's is violent power, isn't it? And Rebecca's power can look more passive, but it's not. It's just everything about her demeanour fools you into thinking that she's passive somehow but it's it's just presenting itself in a different way in Elena Rabakina to what it is with Arena Sabalenka but Sabalenka was so aggressive and persistent with her positivity in her game tonight that it made Rabakina look passive by contrast you know we've seen Rabakina go into every other match and look like you know, she's just teeing off from the back of the court and it's all coming off and it's just this dreamlike, aggressive game. And she didn't play any differently tonight. She just came up against somebody that was just ripping it. Her backhand tonight, mm. Arena Sabalenka. Matt, can we talk about the Sabalenka backhand? With, with, with enormous pleasure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, I was just uh, I just spoke to Simon Briggs on the way here to record this podcast, and he was just in awe at Sabalenka's backhand. High on the whole match, he wasn't was. He? I think that and, we were all feeling like that. And I think I think the point that I was discussing with him was that one of the differences between Sabalenka and actually kind of the rest of what you would think of as the traditional sort of big hitters on the WTA tour is normally the strikes of a flat from the big hitters you know you think Kvitova you think Rabakina but what Sabalenka does and it's it's an enormous edge that I think she has is she loads it with spin as well so she can lash at the ball like she does but the spin actually gives it quite a lot of control when when she's playing well and can sort of push players back and it's such a weapon that she's got, and she's got it off both forehand and backhand, but it was particularly the backhand tonight. I mean, it was just just astonishing how well she was hitting it repeatedly, up the line, cross-court, in defence, on attack, coming forward. Just and, and off her heels incredible. as well. You know, so often Rabakina would get the ball deep, deep to her, yeah. right, on, right at the feet of Sabalenka, and she'd pick it up on the backhand and sort of half-volley a, a 
laser, as you say, the cross court all down the line anywhere. She, she could hit that shot anywhere tonight and seemingly kind of from any position. Better defender, I think, than people realise. I, I, I just think, I, I actually think both players' hand skills are massively underrated. There was a, I, I was drooling over the, 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 the volleying of Rebecca a couple of days ago and there were a couple more today. She did one little half volley drop mm. shot. Um, having put, been put in all sorts of tangle at the net and when you're that tall that's not easy to do just softens those hands I mean and imagine how much better she can still get Rebecca now yeah, at 23 mm. Mind you, I, I think Sabalenka can too I think these two four, they, they're well, going to keep coming well she said that in her um, I think it was in her encore speech wasn't it I hope to be back next year and playing better and, and the and the thought was how you know that was kind of a perfect performance and just on on Sabalenka's hands as well like I think one of the things that the spin allows her to do is create angles and she, and she did that quite a lot tonight sort of rolling the arm over over the ball to create an angle and that's that's good hands I think as well and it's it's, it's in a different way to a touch drop shot or whatever but it's still a lot of a lot of skill there's a lot of skill to go with just the the force, you know, and I think um, I think I think she demonstrated a lot of that today. It was, it was, I couldn't believe she kept up that level for so long. You know, it was a two and a half hour match, and it didn't really feel like there were any dips there from no either lulls, of them. No lulls, and so many so many deuce games. I think the mm. second set, seven of the nine games went to deuce. There were big battles, and Sabalenka did that thing of starting a little bit slow again I think she she was down a break for the fourth time this tournament and yet she she found it and once she found it she never dropped that level and to, to be playing like that for so long is just just staggering really to watch Rebecca actually says here in her press conference I would say not many girls can put can really put me under pressure and I think that that's mm. that's what I loved about it is they were both feeling something that they make everybody else feel. And mm. um, Rebecca are now 0-4 against Sabalenka. That's mm. not an insignificant head-to-head. Now, all four matches have been three sets, but I want to see a rematch of that quickly. During Indian Wells, I want to press the rivalry button. <laughs> I think you just Repeatedly. did. Repeatedly. Well, well, it was... <laughs> seeing uh, Sabalenka's name next to Barty on, on the trophy... I was mm. I was kind of reminded that actually there was there was quite a good rivalry yeah. going on there, Barty yeah, and right. Sabalenka, but maybe yeah. even better than Barty and Sviontek. That felt like that the natural too. rivalry. I thought of Barty and Sabalenka as the the budding rivalry right, at the yeah. time. Yeah, there, there was that clay court season, wasn't there, where they kept Madrid. On they played the Madrid, Madrid final. That was brilliant. I think that was three played sets. Miami as well. Mm. Sabalenka was unplayable mm. that week, and even even Barty's variety couldn't couldn't unsettle her. On that day, um, so, but maybe Savalenka is the the rivalry maker in amongst this crop. Oh, I like that idea. Mm. <laughs> we need that. She can be the, you know, the one that the, the totem pole that they all dance around. <laughs> well, I think she's going to keep bringing it, and I, I don't. We'll, we'll imagine her now, sort of unshackled. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it's going to be quite a prospect. Following her next steps will be really interesting. And. And seeing how Shvontek copes with this, this yeah. could be good for Igor Shvontek. You know, yeah. maybe bad in the immediate term, but 
good in the medium to to long term. Yeah, it's well, she's wanted a rival, fascinating, and she can play on all surfaces. Sabalenka, mm. yeah, she can. I know her best results on clay have been in Madrid, which is pretty yeah. unique conditions. It's at altitude. Madrid champions don't necessarily go on to threaten a Roland Garros, but sometimes they do. Yeah, I mean, I've. I've seen her play in Rome and look very uncertain with her footing on a proper clay court, mm. as I would call it. Um, I kind of feel like in Madrid she sort of plants her feet and just lets yeah. rip. And it, it, it is different, you know, Madrid. But, look, I mean, that's a section of the season. On grass, she can be awesome. On indoors and hard courts, US Open, I mean... And she's got such an appetite for it. That's that's what I love about watching her play. She's always up for it, up for the battle, up for the occasion. Mm. Um, and sometimes that's overcome her. I think she's learned well, the the key to this victory is she's learned how to harness her skill and her power and stay measured with, within it. With with quite a lot of the recent new Grand Slam champions that you listed earlier, Matt. Um, in women's tennis, we've inevitably had the conversation after their maiden victories, will this be a one-off? Will they go on to win win more? I This is the first one in a while. Maybe Sviontek, first French Open. But I feel really sure that there'll be more for Sabalenka. As sure as you, you can feel, I suppose. I don't, you know wouldn't want to have any money on it or anything because all of my predictions are terrible. Um, but I I do feel pretty confident that this is the start of something for Sabalenka. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean she's I think it's I think it goes back to what I said earlier, because this hasn't come out of nowhere. You know, she she's she's been so close before and now to suddenly unlock this, maybe Maybe there's a bit of a similarity with Simone Halep, who, who you know, was so close to winning a first slam and then eventually won one. Everyone was so happy for her. I get that same feeling about Sabalenka as well. Mm. And then she did go in, on to win another one. But, you know, Sabalenka's younger than, than Halep was and also has a game that is more destructive. And She can win matches easily. Right, and she just needs to, you know, peak at the right time a little bit and she's... she's going to be almost so hard to stop whereas with Halep it was always it was always sort of much more of a grind really for her she can win matches easily and she does but she can also fight and dig her heels in yeah she's got this it's my favorite it's Matt's favorite (laughs) weird stat that I think we saw for the first time watching Sabalenka on the ESPN coverage in New York last year didn't we and it now kind of continues that all of her Grand Slam matches that she loses, she loses them from a set-up, and she wins all the ones where she loses the she, first set. Yeah, she's won her last seven Slam matches after losing the first set, <laughs> tonight included, obviously, and her last three s- losses at Slams all came from winning the first set. She's an underrated, <laughs> she's an underrated competitor, isn't she? And she probably won't be after tonight and after this tournament. But I've been guilty of it in the past, thinking of somebody where it's either on, she's either on and it's working, or it's not working and it's it's all or nothing. But that's really not the case. But I, actually. I think the difference is she is digging in now in a way that 
she's finding a finding a way in the past i think she just used to hit hard and almost look pissed off yeah about why it, isn't it know. working yeah and okay, very I'm relatable just gonna, i'm just gonna even hit it harder yeah. oh God, forget it yeah we're yeah, still trying but but in a petulant manner almost whereas yes, that's the word this this is true grit and fighting and um yeah she's twice the player for it and, and i also think Rabakino is a very underrated competitor because it's so different. It's it, it's not it's not what you necessarily associate with, you know. It's not like Rafa Nadal or Jimmy Connors. It's not it's not outward competitiveness, but the way she fought off so many break points in the middle of that match. I think Sabalenka had eight unconverted break points after after breaking in the second set to eventually breaking in the third. You know, Rabakina was under a lot of pressure there and she withstood it, you know, in her own way. And then, as David mentioned, she started launching this great comeback in that final game. Like, there's a real resilience to her as well, I think. And it's very different to Sabalenka, but it's, it's there. And, um, you know, she also, of course, won her Wimbledon final in, in three sets as well. Like, you know, she's... She's hard to put away in, the, in these big matches. Sabalenka had to play the best tennis probably I've ever seen her play, and she only just won. And I think, I think Rabatkin is here to stay as well. You know, that's, that's two slam finals very close to each other. She's got, mm. she's got a lot of qualities which suggest kind of um, there's that, that it's sustainable, I think. It's the second year in a row that the Adelaide won champion. Mm has gone on to win the Australian Open title. I suspect their entry list <laughs> next year might be pretty tasty. Although, of course, you know, United Cup's been a tremendous success as well. And Stefano Sitsipas has attributed a lot of the, the good vibes that he's come in here with with his time at the United Cup. So, I think the more important point is that playing a lead-up event with a week in between. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's Adelaide 1 or whether it's United Cup, that just seems to work, I think, and uh, and is probably the way to go. Yeah. Sorry, Adelaide 2. <laughs> it's worth having you, but, you know, we. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big b- b- believer in, uh, in United Cup. I think that is going to just get stronger. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, obviously... Um, some countries are going to be stronger than others anyway and therefore there'll be certain players that mm. maybe don't get the, the the practice that they want or the warm-up matches but I just think that's going to become more popular Can we take a very brief moment to talk about Reggie? <laughs> yes we can Yeah. Reggie is one of the competitors in our Australian Open newsletter predictions this year and Reggie after 13 of the 14 days of the Australian Open Remains on zero points. <laughs> I love and, him. And just to enhance the narrative, most of Reggie's predictions have been terrible. In the words of Matt, every time they come in, Matt goes, oh, no. No, oh, Reggie. But tonight, Reggie had Elena Rabatkina in three, and he had a whiff of what points smell like. <laughs> at it fo- was... At- Three all it was wafted bird. under his nose and it smelt <laughs> sweet and it's now been snatched away and we've never had anyone finish on zero points and not even me 
I love Reggie. It, it, I'm not even close to him anymore. That's <laughs> that's how badly it's gone for for Reggie. But we love you, Reggie. Yeah, and he's posted some content that kind of should send him to the top of the table mm. uh, for us on our Instagram. Go and have a look at that. Yes, <laughs> yes, we we love you, Reggie. We are we're rooting. For, no, we're not rooting for you tomorrow. We want you to end on zero, but for all, for, but for nice reasons. <laughs> For nice reasons, I promise. <laughs> um, as we come to you, you can probably hear in the background, actually at the moment it's an advert for an airline. With some geese on it. <laughs> with some geese on it. And now it's an advert for gin and tonic, which looks lovely. But when the advert's finish, we'll be returning to the sensations. Yeah, the Aussie sensations. The Aussie sensations that are currently on court, the, the real sensations. Oh. David has called Rinky Hijikata and Jason Kubler the best doubles team in the world. Yeah, I have. I absolutely love watching It's going to be awkward play. if they lose to Nice it, and Zielinski, it, isn't it? It's, well, they're a set-up as we come to you, and they're, they're holding on a bit in the second set, 5-6 down, but I cannot get enough of watching this doubles team. They are so dynamic. They are so engaging with the crowd you know they're, they're, it's like somebody's plugged them into the mains they're so pumped up um, and they're playing brilliant tennis I mean to be honest their opponents are playing some seriously good stuff as well but I don't know this is this is what doubles is all about players that just make the crowd feel alive and you can't you know this is tennis you can't get in singles it's just quick fire racket skills Oh, I've loved it. And they are true to the truest definition of sensations. Yeah, I, I mean, nobody, nobody had ever heard of... Sensation sweet They embody spots. the spirit of Rinky Hijikata is not somebody I'd ever come across before this tournament. The, the locals were getting extremely excited about him. Um, and we were going, who's that? And so he... Jason a, Kubler was, re- was referred to on Channel 9 before the tournament as Red Hot Jason Kubler. Well, there you go. <laughs> On red hot Which Jason is, you know, a, a byword for sensation. Yeah. Um, and uh, it. Oh my goodness me, David! They are two points away from a tiebreak. Two points away from. I had misread the score there. I thought it was a slightly more. It's a long way um, off. Crucial moment that. But you'll you'll keep us posted. Yeah. Well, on I, how uh, Rinky Matt, and Jason Matt's get on. Deliberately taken the chair not in my way, <laughs> so that I can watch. <laughs> well, I've, um, I've been in trouble about sitting in David's way for about ten days. <laughs> Um, We've got a few other matches from today to bring you up to date with and we have got a men's final to preview tomorrow and we have a very special guest with which to do that. Just before we do that though, I'm going to remind you, as I always do, that we are sponsored throughout this Australian Open by On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. They, with Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours, are sending us to Indian Wells where you might... I don't know. Will Rinky? Will Rinky make it into? I tell you, the... <laughs> if he does, I'm camping out in his bloody breakfast room. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll maybe they'll play doubles all year. Well, I tell you what, I'd I'd be giving him a wild card if I yeah. was the tournament director. Okay. I think well, he's amazing. TBC on David and Rinky content in Indian Wells, but regardless, we will be there. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> That's really why David likes him. <laughs> um, Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours are offering a 5% discount on all of their packages throughout 2023 to all friends of the tennis podcast. And they have just launched their 2024 Australian Open packages. Here we are, sat in Garden Square, 
drinking a beer, watching sensations. Highly recommend a oh, trip yeah. to the old Australian Open. You want to get yourself over Ten here. out of ten. Um, if you'd like to go or have the chance to go to the Miami Open presented by Itau, then Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours are offering a competition prize to a lucky newsletter subscriber of a three-night stay at an official tournament hotel, two days and nights of full tickets and hospitality, transportation to and from the venue, breakfast with... Marie Buzkova. (laughs) Yeah. He's done well there, hasn't he? Marie, looking forward to seeing you. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, if you want to enter that competition, then sign up to our newsletter. If you inexplicably haven't already, the link to do that is in our show notes. And the URL to enter the competition is toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast. Podcast. And tomorrow is the final day that they can enter. Ooh. So tomorrow, get in there. Tours. Today, today. Tours, <laughs> the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me, and Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. What else has happened on day 13 of the Australian Open? We've had two epic junior finals. The girls was won by Alina Korneva, 15-year-old from Russia, in three hours, ten minutes over fellow Russian Mira Andreeva, also 15 years old. Do you know, I think it was even longer than that in the end because oh it was goodness. three hours and ten minutes when I mentioned that to you. And that was at five all in the third. And, and I know that, oh I mean, at that point, the... There'd already been several match points come and go. It was, and they were just wilting out there. I mean, it was so hot. It was mid thirties. You know, these are two young women who are, who are trying to 
find their way on, and they're not even on the main tour yet. And three hours, three and probably three and a half hours. And it was good hug scenes. I mean, heartbreaking hug scenes. But one of two great hugs that I've witnessed today. One was Elena Rabakina crossing the net to embrace Irina Sabalenka uh, after yeah, she that picked was herself a up, moment, up, up off the court. That was a really lovely moment. And they moment. gave great speeches those yeah, two tonight they did. as well. They really they? did. Sabalenka paid tribute to to Billie Jean King, um, and it sounded very genuine yeah um uh, yeah it was lovely so corner the girls champion the boys was won by third seeded belgian alexander blocks seven six in the third over american learner tien i saw some of that as well because i happened to be in the commentary box um for the for the final set of that <laughs> they had four rallies in a row all of them 25 to 30 shots long I mean, you know, for young lads, and the, the patience they were showing, I did kind of think, hmm, have they, got, have they got the weapons to, to translate and actually hurt people, or are they just ball machines? Kind of felt like they were a little bit. Talented ball machines, one of them lefty. But, you know, still, it was just it was brilliant to watch the appetite of all these players. You know? they, um, I feel like I see a lot of... Belgian names or Belgian flags in the draws for junior boys events at the moment. I think they might be breeding or incubating a little golden generation there that Roberto Martinez can come in and ruin. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, then he'll go to the new Portuguese generation. Um, the women's wheelchair singles title was won by Dida de Chut for a fifth consecutive year. Fifth. So she's been able to say <laughs> that name five years Six in a two in the third over Yui Kamiji. That is her 17th major singles title. The men's singles wheelchair title was won by Alfie Hewitt, completing the singles and doubles double, just like De Groot did today as well. He only needs Wimbledon now to complete the career slam in singles, Alfie Hewitt. You watched it, David. Yeah, and and it was incredibly emotional because he'd never won the Australian Open. He'd been training like a demon in the off-season to get ready for this. He's playing a 16-year-old, and he goes 3-1 down in the first set to a 16-year-old, you know, and he's nervous as heck. You know, he he said, I made the worst possible start. Then he suddenly just, I mean, it it was like a junior playing a a senior in the end because he just just would not let the guy have it. Takito Oda. Yeah, Takito Oda. And he turned it around from Japan and... The moment that Alfie Hewitt hit the winning shot, he just burst into tears. And he was sobbing uncontrollably into his towel. And I I was trying to broadcast, and I was really (laughs) struggling not to join him. (laughs) It was so moving. Can you imagine if he wins Wimbledon? Well, and the thing is, his mind is already on it. I mean, he's got, you know, the French Open and other events as well. The sensations have got match point. Championship point. Would you like to live commentate it, David? I don't think I'm allowed. Are you really not? I think so. <laughs> okay, well, I'll I keep talking the then, rights. and you can just give us a live reaction. You'll probably hear it. It is somewhat it. distracting, though. Uh, shall I oh talk about God, the... This, <laughs> ra- this is the, the greatest not allowed to commentate it, Matt. of all the, time. They've and done they've it. Done they it. have done it. Thank goodness for that. Listen to the round of applause. They did a Brian Brothers chest bump. Yes. Do you I mean, think they perhaps need to develop their own... 
trademark. I'm, ha- I'm happy with them borrowing a Brian Brothers chest okay. bump and there's a standing ovation in Garden Square for them. Join in if you want, David. Oh, that was... How good was that match point, man? That was so good. <laughs> Told you they're blooming amazing. The best doubles team in the world. <laughs> That's really cool. That means that they'll get into... If they finish in the top 20 in the rankings, they will qualify for the NITO ATP finals in Turin. Yeah. But book your tickets now, David. I'm going. Get yourself on a Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tour to Turin. <laughs> I will. Um, the quad wheelchair singles title was won for the second consecutive year by Sam Schroeder over doubles partner Niels Vink. They'd won the quad uh, doubles title yesterday again. No big deal that they played one another in, in the singles. That's, that's just what happened. So congratulations to Sam Schroeder. And that means that we just have one more day of the Australian Open um, which is a a sad thought but the men's singles final is is a gripping thought I think the more I think about it the more I feel excited about this match and convinced that Stefanos Sitsipas will show up and he will give us a competitive final and I feel so adrenalised by what we saw tonight in the women's final that I am, you know, I hope they were watching and I hope they feel sort of ready to ride that wave. Yes, these things can catch, can't they? Like, they like, can. Like you can get a day at a slam where you get upsets galore and it feels like there's something in the air. I hope we've got a, mm. I hope we've got a finals weekend that, you know, has, has those same sorts of vibes. Like something in the air... It's going to be epic. I would say last year had it as well. You know, mm. Barty's story was just mm. incredible. And the energy here was incredible. And then that carried over to Nadal Medvedev. And yeah, come on, Novak and Stefanos. Well, you've heard a lot of our thoughts about it because we, we talked about this final a bit last night. But the thoughts that you haven't heard are those of two-time Australian Open champion and former world number one Jim Courier, who we sat down with for an hour earlier, and it was unsurprisingly an absolute treat of an hour. We covered all sorts of topics with Jim. He was so generous with his time and energy. It felt like there was nothing we we couldn't cover, really. It really was fantastic to get to talk to him for the pod. That podcast will be available, is already available in full for friends of the Tennis Podcast. So if you want to listen to that, there'll also be our review show for this Australian Open that'll be going up uh, early next week. Then become a friend of the Tennis Podcast and the link to do that is in our show notes. But to preview the men's singles final tomorrow night, we did just want to bring you a little of what Jim had to say about that final because it's so good and better than any analysis we could probably give you so here is Jim explaining why we're all right to be excited about this final I feel great about it from a viewing standpoint I think it's going to be exciting it feels like Steph is playing the type of tennis where his his confidence levels deservedly have grown he's and he seems a lot more calm in bigger moments and so does his team and I think that's a big part of his success right now is the energy in in his team is quite a bit different in 2023 than it was at the end of 2022 when there was you know a fair bit of friction between him and and his his family and, and friends in the players box 
and I think that there's they seem to be more harmonious right now. Is that and the mark for the pieces? I, I mean, I think that that has a lot to do with it, and I also think that there was some reflection at the end of last year on the heels of the Rublev match and, and Torino and his press conference where, you know, Steph is a sensitive guy. He said some things he probably didn't mean, and I think he realized that, and that, that maybe caused him to just reflect on how he wants to attack 2023. And, you know, he seems like someone who is not not just trying to get better in tennis, but he's also trying to get better in life, right? He's a seeker. And um, it feels like that correlation between calm is translating to better results. What we don't know is he hasn't lost yet. So, you know, until you face that type of adversity, you don't really know if it's a permanent change or if it's it's just kind of the feel-good vibe of, hey, we're having a good start to the season. There's no reason to have any friction at all. That It should be calm. But I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Have you sensed any differences in and improvements in Tsitsipas's game this season? Because, you know, we talked a lot last year about his return of serve, maybe needing to improve that slice yeah. backhand. Like, yeah. has he just not been tested by the players yet? Like, is Djokovic going to extract that out of him? Or, or do you sense great, that there has actually it's been... It's a great question. I, I follow it just like you guys do and try and figure out, you know, the areas where these players need to, to need to grow to, to challenge the best players and to be the best versions of themselves. And his slice backhand uh, is something that Mark Filippoussis, I know, would like to see be a little more sound. It still floats. Mm. He still chops down on the ball instead of driving through it, which is what a good slice backhand does. And by chopping down on it, it gets too much backspin. It's not flat enough, and it just kind of floats and sits up, and it begs to be dealt with severely. That is not improved, as far as I can tell. Okay. I've looked at the data as far as his net clearance and depth and the speed of the shot that uh, that's still very much a work in progress where he has improved and this is something that that we really spent a lot of time at tennis channel last summer in cincinnati honing in on is his second serve return so if you look at historically how often he breaks serve on a clay court versus how often he breaks on a hard court it's a big big difference and all players have a difference most players break serve four percent more of the time on a clay court than they do on a hard by virtue of it being a slower surface having more time to be offensive on the return and Tsitsipas has been extremely offensive from a very deep return place on his second serve we're going to go into the weeds here a little bit but you know that's that's what we do on podcasts where Matt lives okay good (laughs) so you know how Nadal Famously, and Medvedev stand deep to return serves, especially on the second serve, so they can be aggressive. Tsitsipas has been doing that on clay with great success, but he's been standing in on second serves until this season on hard courts. And as a result, he hits almost all of them on the backhand wing, and as a result, he hits a, a very passive shot compared to what his forehand can do. I've been begging for him to, to, to be the clay court returner on a hard court since Cincinnati, and he hadn't done it. But he started doing it here this year, and it's been a major impact. He's gotten uh, – Hawkeye data tells us that he's gone from hitting uh, two-thirds of his returns up close on the backhand wing against second serves here to now standing back getting uh, two-thirds forehands. Wow. And the difference on his depth of shot and the speed of shot is dramatic as a result. And he's able to move forward on the next shot. So he's pushing his opponents back, and then he's moving in to be offensive on the next shot. And it's just something that he should have been doing a long time ago. I'm glad he's finally doing it. And I think it's the type of difference that can lead him to winning his first major, possibly on Sunday. But I think long term, that's the move that he needed to make, and it it will lead to, to greater things for him. So that's the biggest change I've seen from him this tournament. How will that impact... 
Djokovic. Obviously, we don't know until we see it, but what do you expect? I mean, I've seen your your graphics yesterday where you actually showed Sitsipas, I think, moving back a little further in each, each round. Match. Yeah, depending on his opponent. Which was quite something. So what, yeah. what, what do you see it looking like against Djokovic, who he hasn't beaten for 10 matches? Yeah, so you know, Novak is an interesting second server. He's apt to hit big second serves. He's not afraid to hit a 185, a 190 second serve, which is rather large. But he also, if you stand deep, he's also apt to not go big because he doesn't see the benefit of taking the risk if you're so deep in the court. So you're more likely to get a slower second serve from Novak. Will Novak serve in volley? That's an option. That's certainly a, a tactic you can use when players are standing that deep, but you better get the ball on the backhand of Tsitsipas if you're going to do that because otherwise the forehand's going to be diving at your feet with a lot of speed because he'll have time to see you coming and make that adjustment. So I think it's going to be a, a really... that's the For me, that's the battleground. you know, Because the second serve points, a lot of the times, if you just look at one number, that's the one that, that will tell the story of a match unless someone has an, you know, an outlier first serve day where they just don't hit a lot of second serves. Because a second serve number basically tells us who wins the ground stroke battle, pretty much. But now Tsitsipas can get an advantage at the beginning of those ground stroke battles when he's serving in a way that he was in a deficit before. How much is the brain a battleground tomorrow night? I mean, I know the, the Rublev quarterfinal was a very extreme example of somebody that looked and sounded beaten before they'd stepped on the court but mm-hmm. it seems like Djokovic is in the heads of the rest of the field as much as ever yeah. before and Sitsipas has lost nine in a row mm-hmm. I think to Novak yeah well I don't think that Steph falls into that defeated category I hope I'm right on that what do you think do you think he's defeated I, I absolutely don't put him in the Rublev category yeah. and I don't think he's defeated but I think He'll go, I think it's there. I He'll think. go out there optimistic. He'll go out there optimistic. But the, it strikes me that there's a, obviously all players, tell me if I'm wrong, you, 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 you go onto court, you found a way to make your brain believe you have a chance of winning, even if logic and everything you're seeing on paper tells you you don't. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between your believing it in your brain and really believing it in your bones. Mm. I can beat this guy. And I, I, I don't think I've seen anybody walk onto court this tournament really believing it in their bones. Well, we'll find out. Uh, I'm optimistic that he does. And there is, there's something, too, when you bring in a new person, a new voice on your team, and when you have the, the calendar year start and all of the success that, that Steph has had, there's something to believing that you're different than, than the last time you played that person. And we'll see if he can hold on to that belief. If he gets a lead, that's where the rubber will meet the road, given what happened at Roland Garros. Can he finish things off? That is... For me, always the most interesting thing for an, a potential new champion, how do they respond at the end of the, of the match? How do they hold their nerve? Can they hold up to the weight of that you know, life-changing moment? Because that's exactly what it is. Can they hold up to it and keep hitting the shots and, and not get overwhelmed by the moment? We know Novak is going to make it as tough on him if he gets there as anybody, anyone could because Novak will refuse to miss at that point most likely. So he's going to have to make. But, boy, it's going to be interesting to see should he get there if the belief is there, but I feel like walking onto the court, my, my hunch, my instinct is that he'll believe, but I don't know. Only there, he knows. There's also a question mark about Novak Djokovic's mindset, mm-hmm. whether he has been impacted at all by the whole preparation a year ago, being deported here on the brink of trying to 
equal Rafael Nadal's record to win a tenth okay he's never lost a, a final never lost a semi-final mm. and then all all of the stuff that's gone on the last few days it's been, it's a, it's been a lot yeah. he's looked quite stressed at times even though his score lines have been emphatic yeah is that is that going to play a, could that play a part it's quite incredible how he like I think turns all of that into fuel like I mm. think I don't, I don't think anyone else could cope with that sort of load that's been on Djokovic and yet I don't know. It somehow seems to make him better. Yeah. Like I don't understand. I don't understand that. Yeah, adversity stokes his fire, doesn't it? In a way, it's, it's something that he seems like he's always operated on that outsider vibe. Like he's mm. always been clamoring to be the insider. It feels like just watching it from close range, and perhaps it's a product of, and I, we've all of us have talked about this in various forms. Product of his childhood and, and growing up in a war-torn nation where. You, you know, it's a very different environment. It's um, you're used to having adversity around you, and and in some ways, it, it's it's all it's home for you. So for him, there are times I think of of this tournament a couple of years ago when he won it, and he was playing so well. His reaction post match after he wins the championship point was different. It, it he did not turn to his team; he turned to a heckler. As if to say, I told you so. And there's he does that a lot, where he'll find something or someone that is his fuel, and he uses that as as something to prove. Um, and that's just how he operates. And, and it's it's different than a lot of other people operate, but it certainly works for him. And I, you're, I, I think very few people could cope with what he had to cope with last year, and then coming back here, and all the the question marks about how he would be received and then of course the you know his father's situation where he took the pictures and it and it became a real big news story and something that had to be addressed that's a lot for someone who's dealing also with a bad hamstring and can't practice the normal way to to process and and to and go out and operate at, at such a high level um you know what when we look back on this in five, ten years' time, it'll probably all smooth over. But in the moment, it just, just seems like it's such a mountain that he's trying to climb. And he's just going up, no problem. He's going up like that guy in, in uh, Free Solo. Just <laughs> <laughs> You've stood closer to him than any of us have this tournament. You've spoken to him on the courts several times in those post-match interviews, including last night, little more than 12 hours ago. Have, have you detected a difference in him in terms of that stress? There's a steeliness to to him. There's a wariness to him. Um, you know, in past years, certainly in in those moments where I get the opportunity to be up uh, up close with him and to share a moment for him with the crowd and let him connect with them, which is my role. He's been a lot more forthcoming and open. I mean, he he had moments where he talked about his family, where he let his guard down. But other than that, he's been pretty understandably guarded, especially about the injury issues. And and I'm I'm sure he's just tired overall of of dealing with the injury and then also having to deal with with people like me asking him questions about it when he just wants to to get on with it. Um, but yeah, he he definitely is carrying some some strain and some stress. Um, but it doesn't seem to impact him negatively once he's in combat, which is to his great credit. Are we allowed to do a prediction, Jim, with you? Are you allowed right. to tell us? Because, you know, we, we do predictions on to, this show. Are you allowed to do stuff on your podcast? I don't know. Are you? <laughs> yeah, we are. Let's check, check with your bosses. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Yeah. I, think, I think that Novak will win. You? Yeah, yeah, I do. But I think it'll be long. 
I hope so. I think I think that Sitsipas will hurt him and make it stressful. Yeah. And ultimately Djokovic will prevail. That sounds about right, Matt. What do you think? Yeah, I think that. Um I'm hoping for a good match. Like we've 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 been lacking really great matches, I think, in this second week and I do think I do think this one has a lot of potential. I'm I'm fascinated by what you were saying there about this being a a slightly different version of Sitsipas, you know, because one of the great things really we always talk about that we love is rivalries. But I think sometimes a, a one-sided rivalry can get a little dull in a way. And I'm excited now that maybe this is a, a slightly new version of Sitsipas to bring to this mm. rivalry, you know, and show something Djokovic he hasn't experienced before. Yeah. Um, I still I still back Djokovic mm. because you know it's the Australian Open final. He wins these things, um, <laughs> but. I agree. I, I think Sitsipas gets at least a set, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this one. Catherine, are you going off menu? Are you going with Steph? Do you know what? I, I, in my pre-tournament predictions, humble brag alert. I, I, uh, <laughs> I had a Djokovic Sitsipas final, but that was only oh, as a result of going through the draw and kind of. Fi- I didn't think I was going to predict that before going through the draw, and somehow I, I looked at the draw sheet at the end of it, and there were those names. Um, and if you know, if you'd asked me to predict what the score in that final would have been pre-tournament, I'd have said straight sets. You know, not giving Sitsipas much of a chance. I've been very convinced by Sitsipas's tennis this fortnight. We watched his match yesterday against Karen Hashanov and were just marvelling at, at the things he could do with that forehand. Not just the the power on it, but the way he can generate that power from three metres out of court and then get back in position because mm-hmm. of his, his athleticism. Would you believe, Jim, it had me comparing him in those moments to Pete Sampras out oh, wide? I very much can believe that. Running forehand, slap yep. shot, cross court, You flat. felt that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I still, still have <laughs> David PTSD from that. <laughs> David doesn't get the Pete Sampras validation from us because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't around. Yeah, yeah, you guys are too David young. wants to talk about the 90s yeah. every All the time. possible opportunity, Jim. we, we got to move on, David. Uh, we got to move on. There's so much better stuff to talk about. <laughs> so that was us talking to two-time Australian Open champion Jim Courier earlier on today. It feels like it was... How was that today? <laughs> yeah bonkers um and if you want to listen to that interview in full then become a friend of the tennis pod if you haven't already i called us the tennis pod there that's all right never done that before yeah, i no regret worries. it become a friend of the tennis podcast uh if you haven't already the link to do that is in our show notes and um though we say so ourselves it's well worthwhile because there's some incredible stuff in there but you've already heard some really interesting stuff about the djokovic sit to pass dynamic i found that a really different perspective on the matchup that we're going to see tomorrow because i don't want to give too much away to newsletter subscribers but matt stat tomorrow or tonight relates to this final and the losing streak that sits a pass is on against djokovic going into it and I, it was making me feel a bit down when matt was talking me through his stat on the Which way I in am on the still tram working today. on, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, I was thinking, oh no, because he's lost nine in a row. Um, Wasn't doing a good. And I was job, losing. Apparently. My <laughs> hype was was dampening down a little bit. Jim speaking, Curry, I reckon. Speaking <laughs> to Jim has rehyped me. Yeah. Well, he, we've long known him to be, I would say, one of, if not the best, current pundits in tennis. 
Um, he's got the medals from having been there and done it with his own career, but he has an ability to explain himself and to convey what's important. There's so much stuff that can get thrown at viewers that I think probably either goes over their head or makes them wonder, you know, what, what, why am I looking at that? But he he puts up things on the screen or his he gets his producers to and then he talks you through them and you feel like I, I know where I am I know where I am with this match I know what's important and um, I mean we could have spoken to him for three hours it's one of those that after we'd finished we kept talking about various subjects and I was thinking oh we should ask Jim about that as well but you know look he couldn't have been kinder and more generous with his time to us and, and I'm I loved listening to what we've just heard there and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to the rest of the interview as well. I love the idea that um, Tsitsipas can can sort of mentally trick himself out of that losing streak that he's on by seeing it as sort of a different incarnation of himself with Mark Philippoussis in his team and with what it seems Jim hinted at there that the sit-down that they had at the end of last season. And, you know, that's evident to us, isn't it, how different it all feels to Stefanos Tsitsipas. He seems like a grown-up out there, and the tennis is certainly certainly big-boy tennis. I love the idea that that can not only help his game the way it has been doing over the course of the the tournament and the season so far, but can also help him mentally tomorrow to leave some baggage at the door. And that's the main hope I have, to bring his best. To bring his best and to see if that's good enough. Yeah, you can say those nine losses were a different guy. I'm not that guy anymore. I love that. So, we think it's going to be good. <laughs> we do. I think it's going to be an absolute epic. I do think it's catching. I think tonight is going to lead into tomorrow and tomorrow night we'll be sitting here going, Wow. Do we know what Reggie's predicted yet? <laughs> I do we don't know what's we not do, going actually. to happen? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. I am on the edge of my seat to find out what Reggie's time prediction looking. is. I always <laughs> wait for Reggie's prediction before doing mine, just to just to rule one out. <laughs> oh, bless you, Reggie! Um, thanks to all of our predictions and uh, newsletter predictions competitors. This this slam and. Uh, and for all the slams that we got this year, because you make it fun for us. So uh, so we appreciate that. Uh, we have our mascot, Cordelia, for the Australian Open. Hasn't she done well? She's delivered a, a brilliant final for us tonight. Thank you very much, Cordelia. Uh, we have on location the premium hospitality and experience provider that are sponsoring us throughout this Australian Open and sending us to Indian Wells. Big yes, please, to that. Uh, we have our mascots. I've got Xenia. We're on a streak, Xenia. A Svjontek-esque streak. Oh, here we go. David. Well, I've got Maisie. Maisie. And, we, and we thought Arena Sabalenka would do it in two nice, confident, efficient sets. And she didn't. Sorry, Maisie. And Matt's got Darwin. Yes. We scored points today, Darwin. We have Billy Jean, who is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Ilana Kloss. It's now become a tradition that Billy Jean has a croissant on, on major finals days. 
Billy Jean King or Billy Jean the dog? <laughs> Billy Jean the dog. <laughs> right, or okay. part of a croissant. I doubt it's the whole croissant. Although I don't, I don't know for sure. There's a picture of that on our Instagram as well. Billy Jean dog watching the final with just a little bit of croissant around her mouth. Mm. Marvellous. It's good stuff. Good yes, stuff. if I know Billie Jean, definitely not the whole croissant. <laughs> <laughs> She's a picky eater. Uh, we have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Drew and Hannah. Thanks to all of you. And we have shout-outs, Matt. We have Daniel Nishanian, who is in Washington, D.C. Like Daniel Nestor. Like Daniel Nestor. All right, Daniel. Like Daniel Bracciali. Remember him from Italy? Not vividly. No, but don't, don't use up all your Daniels, is what I would say. <laughs> oh. got, there's more where that came from. <laughs> uh, that's because we have Daniel Tam. Who Are is they in... all Daniels? No, no okay. just two. Uh, Daniel Tam, who is in Gothenburg. Which is a little Sweden. bit like Harmony Tam, but not quite. Like Daniel Evans. Oh, well very done. good, David. The umpires say it, so, so can I. <laughs> Any others? Daniel. Taro Daniel. <laughs> I'm on fire again. Who's the last one? Thank you, Daniel. Thank, Thank you, Daniel. Daniels. The last one is Carrie Flanagan in Northern Ireland. Great name. And Carrie, Carrie says... That she's been an avid listener since the lockdown days of Tennis Relived. She's an American living in Northern Ireland. And her 80-year-old dad loves Mary Carrillo and therefore loves the tennis podcast. Love that. Hello to Carrie and your dad. I'm sure you get this all the time, Carrie. But, of course, I'm going to say Carrie Bradshaw. Sex in the City. Okay. Well, have you got any others, David? No, I haven't. (laughs) Nothing. There's the film Carrie. <laughs> okay. There's Carrie Fisher. Yes. Oh, now I'd, I'd probably go with that. Okay. Yeah. Princess all, Leia. All good Carries. Yeah. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to all of those shout outs. If you'd like a shout out, if you'd like an intro, both of those things are still available. Become a friend of the pod, snap up one of those, and you can listen to Jim Courier as well. And we'll be doing our Australian Open Review show on Monday with contributions from our various esteemed friends of the pod. So if you can, I highly recommend it. So we've just got one more of these to go. It's almost over. It's almost over. David, I'm going to let you go and... Watch the speeches of Rinky Nishikata <laughs> and Jason Kubler. Just, yep. you know, Looking live vicariously through them. And we'll speak to you all tomorrow. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes 
only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 